Hello, hello, hello everyone and a warm, warm welcome to another episode of the What's Going On podcast. I got with me Chua today. How you doing, my man? Bro, I'm good, man. I'm good. Out in Dubai for a couple of weeks, actually. My girlfriend's mom and stepdad, they live out here, so out here visiting them, enjoying the sun, the beach, the vibes. Damn, you like all the footballers, you know, they go to vacation in Dubai and shit. For some reason, it's become such a popular spot. I think it is, you know, footballers, it's quite like a glamorous lifestyle, you know, a lot of like fast cars, you know, these flexing brands and so on. Also like nice weather, not that far from Europe. So I think that's why. So Dubai has definitely become like the place for footballers to go for vacation. Yeah, and even for rehab and shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think AIK, they had a former individual coach that is actually based in Dubai. He's called Sean O'Shea. He helped Patrice Evra, Luke Shaw, Nani, and plays like that. There are a lot of like football nomads who lives in Dubai and do their thing from there. But nice to hear. Nice to hear that you enjoy it. I'm here in Stockholm. And I feel like I often like complain on something with Stockholm. But actually, right now, it feels like the summer is, uh, is hitting us right here. So I can't complain. I'm loving Stockholm when the weather is like this. Just enjoy uh, life. Try to, be, try to catch as much sun as I can. Because you never know when it's, when it's going to snow again. But yeah. And it's also the first episode I'm recording in my new apartment. It feels mm. like a nice studio setup with a nice view from the window and shit. So I can't complain. Can't complain, man. Nice, man. Good to hear. And also what I can't complain about is the games this weekend and this week. It's been crazy, you know, to like see Champions League in the like last stages where it is right now. I'd love to see all these like great teams, all these great players and these fantastic coaches, you know, challenge each other in like games like this. This is uh, what you live for. If you're not even a fan of football and you watch these Champions League games, I, I think it's hard to not get thrilled, right? Yeah, for sure, man. Especially now, business end of the season, every game matters. Yeah, exactly. The games are coming thick and thin. There's a cup game, exactly. there's Champions League, there's a second leg, first leg, there's league games where every game is a cup final. You gotta love April and May in the football season. Yeah, it's amazing, it's amazing. It's so much like on the line. I love it because, you know, every, every single kick, every single goal you score can make a difference. You know, in the, in the beginning of the season, it feels like, okay, but you still have so many games to go. Right now, it's not that case anymore. It's more of like, you have to be able to perform right now, otherwise you're done. That's the thing. And uh, actually, we, we're going to start up focusing on, uh, on Champions League, as I mentioned earlier. And the game actually that was played yesterday, because today is Thursday. And yesterday, there was a really big game between Bayern Munich and Manchester City. And uh, Manchester City actually won the game uh, at home with 3-0. So it was a pretty tough challenge for Bayern Munich to face, uh, even though they were playing at home. And the game en ended 1-1. And I think it was quite an even game. But what do you have to say about like these two games, Bayern against um, City? I mean, first of all, one thing I thought about was Guardiola, he's been the architect of you know tiki-taka football and so on, right? And now I really yeah. felt like you know he's kind of he's kind of embracing physicality. And, yeah, definitely. And I thought about the game like ten years ago. He wasn't the manager. It was like the year he had a sabbatical. But when Bayern knocked Barcelona out of the Champions League seven zero in aggregate, they won four nil and then three nil. You know they completely destroyed Barca. They destroyed them with with physicality, speed, and set pieces. Right. And I thought it was actually funny now this time to really see. Bayern get a taste of their own medicine against a Guardiola team. Yeah, if you look at that like lineup where you have three in the back and then you have two uh, like number six players and then you have four midfielders and then you only have like one striker who's also like super physical and you know known for his ability in the air, uh, known for his like capacity to run, his capacity to 
strengthening himself past players. You know, it, it feels like Guardiola definitely like changed and also developed his uh, his way of like playing football because now he's not only focusing on like the passing plays, which was also like fantastic, but that that was an mm-hmm. era, and it's um, all all good eras comes to an end. And I think that yeah, Guardiola sure. also like emphasized this and also found that like missing piece from last season, and and that is definitely Erling Erling Barholland. You have to say it. Hey, no question. You know, they really soaked up pressure. They basically played with five center backs when you think about it. Five players who started as center back at the World Cup. Nathan Aki, who played left back. We have Ruben Diaz, who's, you know, a traditional center back. You know, he, he's the type of guy who can't play any other position than center back. Then we had John Stones, you know, played a little bit up in the midfield. And then Akanji. And then we had yeah. Rodri. He actually played as a center back for Spain at the World Cup as well. And then even yeah, when Aki got injured, even when Aki got injured, um, Laporte came on. And he's a center back too, right? He didn't bring on Rico Lewis. He didn't bring on Kyle Walker. He brought Kyle, on, Kyle Walker on later, but not for not for Ake. And those guys, they're waiting for Bayern to cross in a ball and just head it away, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It was a weakness before, but now it isn't really a weakness for them, I think. Nah, exactly. As you say, I would be like super surprised if anyone told me like seven or eight years ago that Pep Guardiola would actually pursue his game plan like this. I would just laugh and be like, no, no, no. That would that will never happen. That'd be like unreal. If um, if Pep Guardiola coached a game like that, yeah, no, for sure, and not even seven, eight years ago, but even one year ago, right? Yeah, exactly. Actually, actually, you don't have to go even that far uh, back to say that. That's true. Yeah, and the fact that you know they played deep meant that they could play on the break, and it showcased in Holland's you know devastating ability to run in behind and break. Right? You know when we saw when Upamecano got the red card, which was then annulled, but also yeah. you know for the goal that they scored. Yeah, um, and it really shows the city are more dangerous than ever because now they have a plan B. Before they they didn't really have that, but now they can play different ways. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They can like hurt teams in in other ways that that they couldn't do previously, and that yeah. is why I think City this year can go all the way. And also that Pep Guardiola stick to his tactics and didn't like try something something extra, something special in the Champions League knockout stage. He was, uh, I think we mentioned that in previous episodes that Pep Guardiola would actually stick to his plans and not do anything like random or uh, yeah, try something sure. new. Just like stick to what they are good at and try to mm. try to be try to be the better team. Yeah, um, no question on that topic. There was a quote from Bernardo Silva after the game. And he yeah. kind of referenced to what, we, what we've been talking about over the, you know, the last couple of seasons. So he said, okay, we've learned from our mistakes of the past. Before, we used to think that we need to be 90 minutes dominating the game, controlling in the final third. When you play against Bayern Munich, PSG, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, you need to accept that sometimes you have to defend and be consistent. You have to work hard to not give them easy chances. Right? And we kind of really yeah. saw that shift in yeah. the, the more mature yeah. approach. That must have been like a challenge for Pep Guardiola because I think in the deep of his heart, I think that goes against like how he wants to pursue his football and how he wants to his team to to like behave. But in order to like win titles and so on, quite a cliche, but you often say that this often the defense that wins you titles and goal scores and offensive and offensive abilities won't win you t- titles. So I think that is also like shown him that like maybe the missing piece, not only Erling, Erling Braholland has scored all these goals. Uh, that he definitely needed, that he didn't score maybe last season, um, but mm. also to show that they they have to have a really good defensive uh, focus and defensive wave playing in order to like win big titles like the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, a, a lot more mature and adaptable approach. But on Bayern Munich, though, last week we mentioned that they really missed Chopomoting, but now it really felt like okay, they actually missed Lewandowski. They desperately need like a world class striker. 
Definitely, definitely. And it's been like rumors this week that they, they want to go for Rasmus Höjlund from Atlanta. There's been like rumors that they want oh, to really? go, go all the way with Ossiman and also rumors that they want to flash the bank for Harry Kane also. So it's been like links that they, they, they want to bring in a number nine that is like world, world class. That is what you're saying, because that was what they missed on the field yesterday, because Mane hasn't been that much of a success as as maybe you thought. We didn't focus on it last week, but the, the whole thing with like Mane punching Sane and stuff like that. So I think Sadio Mane will leave by Munich this summer. Yeah, apparently Tuchel wants him out. Yeah, exactly. And be replaced by a world-class number nine. And I think that could be healthy for, for by Munich. Yeah, 100%. I was reading actually, in Bayern's last five games, a forward hasn't scored. Not just a striker, but like wingers or anything. It was Kimmich yesterday against City. And it was like Pavard in the league against Hoffenheim. No one against yeah. City last time. Delict against True. Freiburg. And then also Upamecano against Freiburg. And one in the league, one in the cup. So only defenders yeah. and, you know, CDMs. It really yeah. shows like all these, you know, hybrid forwards. The wingers, the hybrid forwards, the false nines. Like none of them are really firing at the moment. This experiment in terms of hybrid forwards, signing Mane and so on. You have to say it's failed. They need, like you said, a world-class striker. Someone like Harry Kane yes, would be man. unreal. You know, with all those guys like... Kingsley Coman and Sané and so on running forward. Imagine having Harry Kane in behind, slide through those passes and be at the end of, you know, his big chances, he'd be unreal. Definitely, definitely. And I think also that like suits the way also that uh, Thomas Tuchel want to play. I, I think that will that will change the whole situation for, for Bayern Munich if they get a world-class striker this summer. A lot to do for Bayern over the summer. Definitely. It's going to be a busy summer. And it seems to be in general a more chaotic club than usual. They're called FC Hollywood for a reason. Yeah, true. Sure. But they're also known for a club that's really well run as well, right? Yeah, they are at the same time, but it's still they are they're still like famous for like a lot of like stuff going on, you know, like drama that they changed the coach, and also like mm. drama in the, in the dressing room, rumors that like uh, coaches like leaked um, information to the media yeah. and so on. So, so it's been quite quite chaotic in Bayern Munich this spring. Yeah, true that. I'm just super excited for the quarterfinal or the semifinal rather. But let's see how that one ends up. I agree with you. I'm I'm really looking forward to the to the semifinal between Manchester City and Real Madrid, who actually knocked out Chelsea in the Tuesday round of Champions League, where Chelsea lost at home on, on Stamford Bridge, two 0 four 0 on aggregate for Real Madrid. I would say that like Real Madrid did their job. They didn't uh, they didn't impress that much. But we have to focus a bit on on Chelsea, the club that you can't like you can't like underestimate the whole situation there. You know, it's been like so chaotic for such a long time outside of the pitch, but also on the pitch. What do you have to say about it? The bad form just continues. I mean, Frank Lampard has been unable to make a difference. He's coached four games. They've lost all four in the league. They're three points ahead of Crystal Palace, who up until a couple of weeks ago were considered in the relegation battle until Roy Hudson took over. Yeah. They haven't even reached a 40-point mark, which is considered safety. They're at 39. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to go down, but still, like, it's crazy. With all these like players also that they've signed this summer, I saw in the media that Todd Bowley actually was like going down in the dressing room and criticizing mm. his players and so on in like a way. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. Actually, Frank Lampard commented on it on uh, on a press conference, and he couldn't deny it that it happened. And he said like, "It's his club; he can do whatever he wants." And like, that was crazy. Yeah, Thiago Silva has also been like quite open with his critique towards mm. Todd Bowley and like the whole strategy of the club uh, that there is a lack of strategy. Uh, from the board they can't just only like keep on buying players and uh, sacking mm. coaches hiring new coaches and so on they have to find like a strategy because otherwise the club will will continue to to fail like they do right now 
Yeah, it feels like it's been such a scattergun approach, like no plan really. Once a shiny new toy, signs a big new player, no real yeah. structure to what he's doing. And it feels like, you know, he's he's come from American sports where, you know, it's quite common to have such big squads. You need big squads. Yeah. It seems like he thinks, you know, in soccer that you also need that, <laughs> but you really don't. I mean, you can't yeah. have that much more than 25 players. And I think Chelsea have around 32 or something in the first team. There was even rumors yeah. when, when Potter was in charge that... The likes of Mudrić and Madueke and so on. There wasn't even space for them in the change room. Like they had to change no, exactly. outside the changing room. Exactly, exactly. They had to find like an alternative, like second dressing room. I've heard that too. And there's been also rumors that many players might like leave in the summer since Chelsea will most likely or they will miss the Champions League next season. And many of these players that signed these big deals, they will decrease their salaries if they don't play Champions League. So that will also like be different for Chelsea and also quite difficult for them uh, to sign good players in the summer. It's going to need a crazy rebuild from the coach that gets in uh, this summer. It's been a challenge both for Tom- Thomas Tuchel and Graham Potter already. So mm. it's going to be interesting to see if a guy like Nagelsmann or Luis Enrique or, or a guy like that can, can handle a crazy American guy like Todd Bowley is. He's definitely given them enough money and players, but it doesn't feel like they can really buy that many new players because surely they must have reached some type of limit when it comes to all the, all the money they can spend. Like they, yeah, exactly. they can't spend $600 million every year. So no, I, exactly. I feel like this has to be like the core of the squad for quite some time, I think. And also like, you know, a player who's like grew up in the club, Mason Mount, has been like decent for Chelsea for quite a few years. Could be like a really good like squad player that can not maybe start every game, but he can like be on the bench coming on and, you know, stuff like that. But now when the squad is yeah. so big and when they sign like so many players that are like quite similar to Mason Mount, a guy like that might yeah. leave. And uh, Liverpool is like super interested to sign him. And that also shows that Mount is not a bad player. He's not like the sexiest player, and that's why he fell out of favor from especially yeah. Todd Bowley, I would say. It feels like that, at least. Not as like sexy as the likes of Mudrić or Jaffe Felix. And when you sign those players, you almost have to start them. Maybe, you know, someone who came from the academy, he hasn't cost them that much, you know. Eh, he doesn't have to start, do you know what I mean? I think that can also be bring like some uh, soul to the team because mm. now when I look at the team, is it doesn't feel like there's quite that many players that can like die for Chelsea, you know, playing for the badge. It feels like a couple of like players who just come there to to get paid and they don't have that much of a soul to play for for Chelsea. And that's like also what they're missing and how they can like fail to impress. They crack under pressure. Yeah, big time. To be able to not do that, then then you have to have players who, who are willing to like die for the badge that they have on the chest. And I don't see that in Chelsea. Uh, not at all. It looks like there's no passion. There's like, such a no. disconnect between fans, manager, players. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a club in a mess. Talking about Chelsea, we, we have to talk a little bit about Real Madrid too. I think job well done from them. I don't think they impressed that much. But they were able to like bring down Chelsea quite easily. They didn't need to impress that much. Nah, exactly. They could play on like I would say fifty percent of their ability and still like knock Chelsea out with four 0 That's the thing. I thought some key tactical themes from I think Real Madrid in this game. I yeah. think one of them was Benzema dropping deep, and then the central midfield was pushing forward. Right, we saw Fede Valverde go forward a lot while Benzema dropped deep. So I think that yeah. was kind of one aspect of it. Another one, in the first half, N'Golo Kante was causing quite a bit of trouble on that right channel. So in the second yeah. half, he switched Fede Valverde to the other side. And that kind of nullified the threat of Kante as well. And that seemed to work out. I mean, he even got an assist kind of from that position, from that left side you know, for Rodrigo's second goal. Yeah. So that was impressive. And then also Chelsea, they kind of pressed in a 4-4-2. And that isolated Vinny versus Fofana on the left side, which you know he also caused him quite some trouble, as he does to any right back he plays against. That's true. And then finally, Rodrigo, like his movement, his roaming, 
kind of go on between the lines and just cause so much havoc. And I think he's an I think he's an unreal player and very underrated. I feel like he doesn't really get talked about that much, Rodrigo. No, you you don't talk about him at all. It's like in in Champions League, it's been 19 starts, 15 goals, nine assists, which is like crazy. That's yeah. a goal involvement every like 79th minute. Yeah, it's insane. Insane. And he's actually only two goals away from becoming Real's fourth top scorer in the Champions League. Is it true? Yeah. What? Two goals. That's crazy. That's crazy. I, I don't even feel like I read anything at all about Rodrigo and how good he is. At all. And I mean, stats-wise, he hasn't been nowhere near as good in La Liga. But Champions League is where it matters and he loves that competition. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It feels like that. He chilled a bit in La Liga and then when it's Champions League, he showed the world what he got. Yeah. And that's when the world's watching. Yeah, exactly. You know, he has more goals at Stamford Bridge in 2023 than Mudrich, Jaffelix and Raheem Sterling combined. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're four wow. months into 2023. It's going to be really interesting to see now Real Madrid against uh, Manchester City. It's going to be a really, really interesting game to see who goes through to the final. I, I actually think that that can be like kind of like a final feeling because I think... Yeah, it is pretty much a final. Like, I'll be shocked if one of the Milan teams beat them in the final. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry to say that. I know you're, you're hoping Milan. I agree with you because actually Napoli didn't go through against Milan. Milan also played on Tuesday mm. and uh, the game ended 1-1 at Stadio uh, Diego Maradona. Mm. Um, but Milan got through scoring two goals against Napoli's one and they went through an aggregate. And uh, as you say, I also think it would be crazy if some of the Milan teams go through and uh, win the final. Yeah, it'll be uh, sick. But it can happen. I'd love for that to happen. Everything can happen in football, you know? It feels like crazy that either like Inter Milan or AC Milan will be in the Champions League final. Hey, that's insane. And also just having a Milan derby at the San Siro or Gi Giuseppe Miazza, two legs in the Champions League yeah. semi-final. Like Milan's going to be bouncing. Yeah, damn. It's going to be unreal. Damn. If I if I could go to any game, I, that would be one of them, actually. To see like a Milan derby in a Champions League semi-final, that would have been, wow, it would have been crazy. Yeah. Talk about Milan's game. I think that uh, there are two heroes in the Milan team for, for this game. And also like in, if you look at both of these games. But first of all, we, we have to give an applaud to Rafael Liao for being mm. an insane player. I love that guy. When he feels like he wants, he can go past like any defender in the world. And that is like so mm. cool to see that he just like decides to like, okay, I'm going to get past this guy and um, and then just do it. And that's what he did mm. when uh, Giroud scored the first goal in the game. And right there when Giroud scored that goal, I, I knew that Milan would go through um, because I felt like Quarascelia and Osimhen and the whole Napoli team, they didn't have that energy to like pull Milan down, even though they scored mm. a goal in the very end. It was Milan's game to win. Yeah, we predicted it as well. Napoli were heavy favorites, but we thought, okay, yeah, Milan, Milan have a decent chance here. You know, having beat them 4-0 yeah. in the league as well, proved right. But man, that run for that goal, 74 yeah, meters, 11 touches, yeah. past three players. Whew. Dirty. To like be that ice cold when you, when you go, when you are like one, one versus one with the goalkeeper and then just pass it, mm -hmm. pass it on to Oliver Giroud, that you can be that calm and that like ice cold does also like show what a team player he also is. He's not the dribbler who wants to do everything uh, by himself. He's also like quite generous. He wants the team to score rather than himself to score. And that is also why 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 I love him as a player. Because if he scored that himself, that would have been nominated for the Puskas Award, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. He didn't care about that. Like he just wanted, you know, I want my team to go through. Compared to like a Chelsea team, um, this Milan team, actually, if you look like player by player, I think that Chelsea have 
a better squad, actually. If you look from every single player in the team, if you look at like, the whole yeah, squad. No question. Yeah, Chelsea have a better squad. But less of a team. But, you know, with Milan, what they have done here is that they found a coach who loves to coach Milan. And it's like his biggest dream to be the Milan coach. And then also mm. you got like so many players who are ready to like die for the badge, even though they're not like from... They're not, they didn't grow up in Milan or so on. But you have players like Magnon, you have Kier, you have Thierry Hernandez, um, mm. you have Tumori, Benasser, Tunali, um, you got Liao, you got Giroud, and also you got like Brian Diaz. It, like so many players who like love to play for this club. And it feels like they, they play the football of their lives and they're ready to put everything on the line to go through. Mm. You know, with Mike Magnon also, you know, saving a penalty from maybe one of the best players like, in form right now in the world with uh, Quaracelia to save a penalty like that and then also like participate that much with the ball at his feet. You know, Spalletti call him, after the game, they call him uh, a goalkeeping playmaker. And that's definitely a true. He's a leader. He's a really good goalkeeper and a good shot stopper. And he's also, he's also great with his feet. I'm not going to go over the moon here, but maybe I, I'm doing it. But I, I would say I say that uh, Mike Mignon is the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen a couple of shouts um, saying that on Twitter. I haven't watched enough Milan games to give a valid opinion on that, but he seems unreal. Um, good with his feet, yeah. insane penalty record, and also just like as a leader as well. You know, he gives so much confidence. I was watching the interview with Fikayo Tomori after the game, and he was just yeah. praising Mignon, saying what a leader he is. You know, makes the defense so confident. He pushes the team up the field. A goalkeeper who has it all. Exactly, and it's quite funny actually because uh, one of my um, one of my friends who I studied with, he actually um, went by the studio uh, one time when we were recording. He's called Mar- Marcus Marcus Minari. He was actually a really talented footballer when he was younger. He's our age, born ninety five. He was playing for the um, uh, under fifteen national team for Sweden, and they faced mm. uh, France. And um, uh, he said that, you know, with all these players, you know, when you look back, they had like Rabiot, they had Marshall, mm. they had Lemar. They have pretty like crazy players. But out of them all, Mike Magnon was the craziest one, you know, the way he led the team and so on. And it felt like, you know, his senior career, he wasn't he wasn't that successful. You know, he was like a third choice in PSG and then he went to Lille and he wasn't the first choice right away. But then when he, when he got the chance in Lille, he, he made Lille become a top team instead of being a, a mid-table team. And then since he came to Milan, he's been like the key difference to why, why Milan is performing the way they do. Um, because I, I would say that Mike Mignon is better than Donnarumma. I, I prefer yeah. prefer to have Mignon over Donnarumma now. Yeah, I get that. Less drama as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, also like what I've heard when when Slatan actually, when he was in PSG, then Mike Mignon was like the third keeper. And, um, mm. you know, when he was, I think when he was a, a bit younger, when like Slatan came to the club, um, I think... Uh, Mike Mignon, he did like kind of a terrible thing at a training, and then Slatan, mm-hmm. you know, he humiliated him in front of like the whole squad, yeah. like making jokes out of him, and said that he was, you know, that he wasn't that good. And then, like, then he went alone, I think, to another club, mm. and uh, and then when he came back and he did a save from Slatan's uh, shot, then he did exactly the same thing that Slatan did like a year before that. So it also shown yeah. that he's so strong mentally. Because, yeah, he, he left, actually, PSG. He only played, like, B games for Paris Saint-Germain. He never played, like, a, a game in Ligue 1. And then he went on to Lille's second team. And then in 2016, he, he became the first choice. And then it was crazy up until 2021 when he went to Milan. And what a guy. And I think he'll be France's first choice for quite some years. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, with Mbappé up front, and then you have Mac Mignon in goal. Woof! 
France will do crazy stuff because I think that now Mac Mignon will, will show his abilities now when Hugo Lloris has retired from France. Should have been the first choice a few years ago, back in 2020 yeah. maybe. But um, And he was injured for this he, World Cup, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, he may have been like the first choice. But uh He's gonna be he's gonna be a crazy first choice for yeah. for France, and I think he will be a really good player. And if we're gonna talk about the last Champions League game, we were also playing on Tuesday. Mm. Uh, it was Inter who went through against Benfica, and I think there is like not so much to say about that, rather than like that Benfica they actually made a game uh, out of the second leg, which was quite impressive. I mean, before the game, I thought Benfica would probably go through, or not before the game, but before the tie. But, I mean, yeah, it was a little too late for them. I mean, two late goals, but, yeah, that time was 5-1 in aggregate. And, yeah, the game was over after the 3-1. Three, the three exactly, exactly. That was the mm-hmm. thing. So, um, to sum it all up about the Champions League, it's going to be really exciting and interesting to see Real and City face each other in one of the semifinals and also to have Milan Derby in the other semifinal. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see, like, these last five games of Champions League this season. Looking forward May to I'm it. I'm buzzing. Prediction? Uh, I actually think that City might go all the way this season. Mm. I, I'm hoping yeah. for Milan to go to the final. And it would be crazy to see Milan in a Champions League final. But I think they will be destroy, destroyed by either Real Madrid or, or City, no matter what. Yeah, me too. I think AC Milan will go through yeah. in the Milan derby. Yeah. And then I think I think City as well. But I mean, in Real, it yeah. is their competition. So can never count them out. And I mean, they're in pretty nah. good form. So let's see. So excited, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm so excited for these for these upcoming games. Yeah, sorry, mate. But I, let's see. But I'm also I'm also super excited to see who will actually end up winning the Premier League. We talked about City previously now in the in the Champions League, and they've been showing also great form in the Premier League, and they are actually starting to approach Arsenal. Uh, also in the top of the table uh, because uh, Arsenal actually dropped a 2-0 lead again yeah exactly they lost a 2-0 lead again and this time against West Ham which was also like crazy to see you know with Thomas Partey losing the ball uh, in quite a sloppy way you know in that part of the field it felt like they were not mentally there you know and to drop a lead like that twice shows that you maybe don't have the cojones to go all the way in the Premier yeah. League and you don't have the, the like whole mental ability maybe to go all the way feels like the pressure is getting to them the Liverpool game you can forgive them Anfield is a tough place to go as we said but West Ham you know 2-0 up in 10 minutes it's uh, catastrophic to not win that game it's still it's still in their hands I think they have a game on Friday they win that one seven points ahead City don't play over the weekend I think they have the FA Cup semi-finals then the seven points ahead and then they meet them at the Etihad Arsenal against yeah. Man City next week on Wednesday and I mean in that game City are favorites, but you can't count Arsenal out. So if they win that, 10 points ahead. And then, then then the league is done, even though City would have two games in hand. But still. Yeah. So let's see. Yeah. Really interesting. I, th- I think City are winning it. Yeah, I think so too. And I think they will maybe have the treble this season. It feels like they can, they can go all the way in all the competitions that they are still in. If they beat Arsenal next week and they go through against Real, then they've more or less won the treble, I think. So those are almost two two finals. Actually, nah, what am I saying? I mean, United are going to beat them in the FA Cup. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> talking about United, they actually won the game against Forest this uh, past weekend. Even though they got quite a lot of injuries, it feels, still feels that they are in, in good form and keep on going. So I think they, they might have a shot against City, actually. In in a in a t- tournament that they maybe don't focus that much about, it feels like they're more focusing on uh, Champions League and the Premier League. Of course, United might have a chance there. We do, but we have a tough game against Brighton on Sunday. So yeah, let's see if we can get through that one first. 
because I mean Brighton are as we've talked about before are super good that's going to be a tough one yeah they have an incredible coach incredible squad and also like a really good way of playing the game it's going to be really interesting to see that one too um mm. but actually talking about also another team that um uh, this monday actually slaughtered another one is liverpool they slaughtered leeds with 6-1 and now they're actually back on the winning side of the game again which also feels insane that they haven't won like since uh, they destroyed manchester united ah, it is i think i was seeing before the game that 33 or something percent of Liverpool's goals this season have come in three games. The 9-0 against Bournemouth. Yeah. The yeah, the 7-0 against United. I think they yeah. have one other massive win this season. I forgot which one. Their goals often come in streaks. You know, they'll score yeah. six, seven, eight, nine in one game. Then they won't score, they'll score one, they'll lose two one. So they need a bit more consistency. Yeah. When they start to score like many goals in a game, if they maybe are up with three, then they can end mm. up scoring nine. Yeah, that's the thing. But if the game is like 0-0 zero, zero, and then, then they, they only maybe go on to score one. But, I mean, they're getting key players back from injury. So that's that's a good thing. Luis Diaz is back now. Jota is back as well. So that's definitely contributing to the uptick in form, I think. For sure. And actually, now we're not going to talk about the Champions League. We're not going to talk about the Premier League. We're going to go back to my beloved Alessandskan. Or not like beloved Alessandskan, maybe beloved AIK, I would say. Because I don't know if you have you've seen in the newspapers and in, on the on the online medias, but AK was crazy in the derby. They totally destroyed Hammerby. Yeah, yeah, so, so. yeah. Andreas Brandstrom, you know, with like a master plan when it comes to the tactics. You know, uh, playing Robin Tihi, uh, who's um, actually a central defender, played him as a central mid. Uh, because they have had problems with playing a defensive center mid this season for AK. That's why mm. they've been so terrible in the start of the season. But this game was, yeah, it was such a mastermind tactically from Andreas Benstam. He destroyed Marte Cifuentes and his like whole tactics. And it was like so much hunger, you know, in the AIK squad. You know, they, they talking about players who want to die for the badge that they have on the shirt. That was what all of the players in AIK wanted to do. And, um, also like as a cherry on the cherry on the cake and icing on the cake i mean yeah icing on the cake that you you have another like um a product from your own academy scoring scoring two goals in a stockholm derby Fasai. yeah exactly alexander Fasai. last time that happened that we had a known product who were like super young when he scored two goals against the stockholm rival it was alexander isaac so i'm not comparing these two um, but I think that this uh, Fisaya kid can go can go far. Um, he's a really good player. Actually, my brother he 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 said um, right away because he watches a lot of like under nineteen games and so on. He said like this Fisaya guy he he's for real. He's for real. He he can go far. And uh, from what I've seen so far, I think he can be another like major major player that AIK can sell uh, out in Europe. Shit. He's born in 04, yeah. right? Yeah, born in 04. His first mm-hmm. season, he hasn't been like on loan or anything. He came straight from the under-19s where he'd been scoring mm-hmm. a crazy amount of goals. And then now he's coming in and all starting the, the three first games. And now he's become a, a key player since uh, Gudet is out. Fisher has been a bit sick and also like injured. So now we, we, mm-hmm. we're pretty dependent on, on Alexander Fisaya. And he's, uh, he's been showing great ability so far. So it's going to be really interesting to see his uh, journey from now on. Mm. And uh, also really interesting to see if our new sporting director from uh, Norway, who actually transferred today, actually, from Sarpsborg 08 uh, to AIK. Mm. So he will start the, his job the 1st of May. And I think that uh, this could be a new era for AIK. 
to have a sporting director like this with all the abilities that he have uh, and also like all his experience from Nordic football and his experience of buying in uh, players quite cheap and then sell them for high prices. It's going to be really interesting to see how he can contribute to to AEK. Excited for you guys. Yeah, I am too. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this uh, this season actually end up. Vamos a ver. Yes. And talking about, actually, you started talking Spanish now. And actually, we're going <laughs> to sum up this, uh, this episode with uh, uh, a drama between uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's been quite much of drama going on for a few weeks here uh, outside of the pitch, right? Yeah, May, a ton of drama. I mean, we talked about some of it a couple yeah. weeks ago, you know, with the Negreira scandal and so on and how... Sure. How the Real Madrid directors didn't come to the Camp Nou and they decided to file charges as well against Barcelona. So there's been an uptick in the intensity of that rivalry. But now it's gone to another stage. So basically on, on Monday this week, there was a press conference held by Laporta, the president, essentially to address you know the recent scandals at Barcelona. And he spoke about some ferocious attacks on Barca and took aim at La Liga as well, accusing the league of fueling false narratives and essentially claiming that Madrid had been favored in terms of refereeing decisions historically and in the present. So he said, to quote, in reference to Real Madrid, he said, they claim to feel harmed in sporting terms by this. This comes from a club that was regarded as the club of the regime. Why was that? Because of how close they were to the political, economic and sporting powers. For seven years, the people in charge of making decisions in that regard were from Real Madrid. Wow. So, I mean, we've already, we've already talked about how he... He's very, you know, he's been very fiery. Yeah, and also like quite offensive. Very offensive, very, very emotional, extremely emotional. More emotional than yeah. you'd expect from a, a club president from, you know, the, one of the top two clubs in Spain. The PR people around him uh, is not doing a great job, I would say, because you shouldn't be able to like bring someone like, who's this emotional to the media. That's quite embarrassing, actually. Yeah, uh, needs a bit more PR training. Yeah. But anyways, so that's, that's what he said in a press conference. And then on Tuesday, I believe, Real Madrid released a video on Twitter, and probably on other platforms as well, a, yeah. a four and a half minute video where essentially they asked which was the club over the regime. And there was a ton of clubs showcasing Barcelona's relationship with you know, the former dictator, Francisco Franco. So some of the things they said in that video. Yeah, so a ton of clips, right? Yeah. Um, so some of yeah. them were like, they said the Camp Nou was inaugurated by the minister of General Franco, Jose Solis Ruiz. They also said Barcelona presented Franco with a gold and diamond badge. Barcelona made Franco an honorary member in 1965. Barcelona awarded Franco a medal three times. Barcelona was saved from bankruptcy three times by Franco, thanks to land reassessments. Barcelona won eight league titles and nine Copa del Generalissimo under Franco. Also said, with Franco, Real Madrid took 15 years to win La Liga. Yeah, Those were some of the things they said in that video. And then the next day... Um, Actually, no, Real Madrid posted that on Monday. Sorry, I said Tuesday earlier, but Madrid posted that on Monday yeah. evening. And then on Tuesday, the Catalonia regional government, they asked Real Madrid to take down that video, calling it a manipulation of history. Yeah. And the spokesperson, she said it's irresponsible, an offense and an insult to the thousands who suffered Franco's regime. Yeah. Wow. This is so, um, just way beyond football. Yeah, it's such a dirty history, you know, a dirty, dirty plot. And like how clubs who are like, rivals of course but how it can be like this trying to bring each other down i think it's just sad you know they are in uh, in an like open um open fight like in front of the whole world which is like quite embarrassing for spanish football and also for both of these clubs because they are embar- embarrassing themselves yeah uh, it is embarrassing like everything's so public as well 
Yeah. Everything's like on social media. It's not like they're doing it behind the scenes. No. Nah. You know, nah. like in meetings. It's like the whole world's watching. Quite embarrassing and not good for, for either Real Madrid or FC Barcelona, for sure. Nah, will, this will only harm them. Yeah. We have to just continue to follow this story. Yeah, there'll be more twists and turns, for sure. Yeah, but it's going to be really interesting to um, to see what happens next in this crazy story. It feels like basically everything can happen. We will follow the story and uh, bring you the latest news. And um, as you all know, also, the What's Going On podcast will continue to bring you, bring you news not only from Spain, from all over the world, and also like from from the small small places in the world and also like the big stories uh, in the football world. So this was actually it that we had for today. Uh, it's been a pleasure, as always, to record another episode. Please feel free to uh, reach out to us if you have any feedback or if you just want to send us some love. So um, feel free to hit us up if you have something on your mind, uh, or otherwise just keep on um, keep on listening. If you have any you know topic ideas and so on, please share those. We love to hear that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's gonna be some really interesting episodes coming up also in the coming months. So um, please just hit the follow button, and then you will get you will get everything from us. Take care, guys. Until next time. We love you. We love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.